0: welcome back to half the battle i'm your host as always daniel levy and today we're going to talk about ufc austin Benil dariush versus arman sarukian and my friends, it's going down this saturday live at the moody center in austin texas you got two i want to say top five guys for some reason arman sarukian is not in the top five currently which i think is crazy i think he's i think he's pretty damn clear as a top five guy but bottom line two of the most elite lightweights on the planet are about to do battle title implications on the line i mean a win here and it's either title shot or one fight away from title shot a loss here sets you back tremendously so Incredible fight. Plus, I mean this card, the co-main event. You got the UFC's hitman, Bobby Green, taking on the tarantula, Jalen Turner. We got Hobby Fonch, Rob Font welcoming Davison, Dice Dugea Figueredo to the Bantamweight division. Kelvin Gasolum dropping a 70s for the first time in a long, long, long time. So i I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped. Let's just not even Beat around the bush, not that we ever do. And let's get right down to business because in this main event, we got Benil Daryush. He's 22, 5 and 1, taking on Arman Sarukian, who is 20 and 3. And currently, they got it Arman Sarukian minus 310. The comeback on Benil Daryush is plus 260. So, lots of interesting tidbits with this fight. First of all, I know I, I want to just get into you know this narrative about how you know the longer the fight goes, that's where it kind of favors Armin Sarukian because Benil has maybe slowed down in fights or this or that. But I, I, I wanna tell y'all something. Look, does Benny gas sometimes? Yeah, because he goes balls to the wall and the guy is a killer. Dude, do not let Benny's nice guy persona fool you. Benny is a bona fide. Killer, but the reason I wanted to bring that up was because y'all know that Benil is undefeated when fights go to decision. The only kind of you know close call was that draw he had with Evan Dunham, where he almost killed Dunham in round one, kind of you know blew the load a little bit, and then lost the next two. But besides that, man, he's I mean, well, that's not even a loss; that's a draw. Uh, Benil has never lost a fight that's gone the distance. Pretty interesting, right? Every time Benil loses, he gets finished. Uh, so that's an interesting caveat. Could this be the first time that Benil loses a decision? That's uh something to ponder, but how they match up. I mean, just a fantastic fight. Benil is truly an established vet at this point. I was at this guy's UFC debut in 2014 against Charlie Brenneman um, in Gwinnett, Georgia, and it was the first fight of the night. So, you know. You know, these casuals don't show up for the first side of the night. They don't show up to the main card. So it was just me and my friends, like two other people there. And we hear the crack of that left-hand shot that he drops Charlie Brenneman with. And right away, we're like, damn, who's this kid, right? And ever since then, look what he's done in the UFC. The people he's beaten, the people he's lost to, the ups, the downs, the win streaks, getting back on the horse. You know, there was a time in 2017 to 2018 where people thought that Benil was on on his way out. I mean, think about it. Uh Edson Barboza with that flying knee—that was one we didn't think he was going to come back the same from. The Alexander Hernandez KO loss—we were like, yeah, it might be over for Benny. Then he puts up the biggest win streak of his UFC career, makes it to that number one contender fight with Charles Du Bronx Oliveira. And let me tell y'all something about that Charles Du Bronx Oliveira fight because I see people making this post about how you know Benil didn't even have a second of success in that fight, and that's complete bullshit. Benil was actually got on top of Charles dubronx Oliveira. He was landing some vicious ground-and-pound. Credit to Charles scrambling back up to his feet. He caught Benny with this big head kick. And I just don't think that Benny recovered, not to mention Charles Oliveira, how slick he is to getting the back. And you're not just going to take a guy like Benil Darius's back. So, so Benil, instead of getting his back taken, he goes to his back on the mat. And Charles DuBronx just had this very pinpoint ground and pound that was able to get the job done so to me i don't view it as oh benny's on his way out or benny's this benny's that dude benny is a real warrior like like i said y'all i'm gonna repeat myself do not let the nice guy persona fool you Like, like yeah he really is a nice guy i'm not calling him fake what i'm trying to say is that Benil is a killer okay like like make you know no if ands or buts about it Benil dariush is a killer My favorite weapons of him from that southpaw stance. I mean, people always talk about his jujitsu, which, of course, it's unbelievable. But, dude, that left body kick to the liver because, you know, he's a southpaw. So when he's fighting orthodox fighters, it's going to go right to that liver. Pull up his fight with James Vick. All y'all remember is that knockout. But uh, let's talk about those body kicks. You just the the crack of those body kicks you pull up his fight with michael johnson all everyone talks about is oh it was this big robbery but they they don't know what they were watching Benil Dariush is putting on a jab clinic and every time he went to the legs because that in that fight it was south versus south so he was able to attack the legs and when Benil kicks man i mean you can hear the echo of those shots and um i see someone saying dariush has no chin it's not that he's got no chin but he's definitely been stopped his fair share of t- times but let's just say this as well armin sarukian um he's not impervious to that either he got knocked out in his second pro fight um in 30 seconds you know and then his most recent fight he did the chicken dance in round two but let me say this about that fight against joaquin silva joaquin silva excuse me uh i thought that was a fantastic performance by Armin. i know Armin's getting a lot of shit because he was a what a minus 1100 favorite in that spot which i understand joaquin took it on very short notice and their places and the rankings are drastically different. So you just expect Armin to just come out there and just steamroll him real quick. But Ar- that's not Armin's style. Armin grinds you down. Armin gets it to the point where, like, you're like, man, what do I got to do to get this guy off me? Like, oh, my God, like, the the physicality of a guy like Armin. And when I talk about the physicality, I don't want that to sound like I'm discrediting his unbelievable scrambling and wrestling ability. And let's not sleep on his striking either. Here's the thing with his striking. Offensively speaking, I mean, he's got the fundamentals down. I like how he strings his punches to his kicks. He's a very hard kicker. Actually, he's got a very sneaky high kick. But the the thing about it is that's offensively speaking, defensively speaking, I think that Armin is a little bit vulnerable, you know. Not just mentioning that time that he got knocked out in a second pro fight, but most recently against Joachim Silva. But credit to Silva, Joachim Silva is a very hard hitter. And Armin after that fight, I don't know if y'all saw the footage of him going backstage walking up to Joachim he's like dude no one's ever hit me that hard like he's like you're the hardest hitter I've ever faced and and like I don't hold it against someone when you get caught on the temple on the chin by an extremely heavy hitter you know I'm more impressed that he just did a chicken dance and that he wasn't knocked out cold you know so I mean look at what happened when Jared Gordon took those same shots against Joachim Silva so I I think that (laughs) Dixon said Armin got that Grant Dawson type striking. I disagree, man. I think his striking is a lot more technical than Grant Dawson. And I think Grant Dawson's one of those guys that like he might throw, but he's going to close his eyes. He's very uncomfortable in the pocket. Whereas Armin, like he's got, he's good everywhere. It's just, um, taking it is where I kind of have, you know, not that big a concern. Like, like when I say stuff like that, it sounds like I'm making him out to be like chinny or whatever. It's just, we we've seen him, Get wobbled and we've seen him get knocked out. So he's not impervious to to being hurt, but offensively speaking, striking, he can give it for sure. And you already know about his wrestling. To make your UFC debut against Islam Makachev and to have the kind of scrambles he did with him. I mean, hey, Armin, you are serious, man. And now I feel like he's at the point where he's paying his dues. And, and it's about that time where it's like, hey man, like it's so so here's my thing, right? Because he's only 27 years old. So You'd think, I mean, shit, if you want to wait till you're 30 to make that title run, that works too. But with the resume he has at this point and the experience and and the vast improvements, I mean, he gets past Benny and he's right there. So the question is, how do you see the fight going? And it, the the early scrambles are going to be amazing. I mean, you watch that fight between both guys and Gamera, both guys and Gamera in that first round, Benil versus Gamera and uh, Armin versus Gamera oh my god that first round the scrambles they had are just second to none the, the only thing is that so armin kind of slowed down in that gamra fight but i also think what he was 25 26 at the time Gamrot is serious and yeah we'll talk about how Benil you know did his thing against camera but but styles make fights it's a completely different matchup here um and I, I think firstly a lot of people thought that armin won that Gamrot fight but that's neither here nor there to me i don't care about who won or who lost i care about is that the kind of performance where? Um, is that the kind of performance where he's going to learn from it? He's going to come back better. That was his first five round fight. Benil's actually never been in a five round fight before. And is Armin just going to make those adjustments going forward and do what he needs to do? Learn from it, come back, and now make that title run. So here with Benil, um, man, Benil is so dangerous. Benil is so well rounded. Benil is so experienced. That it's tough, and when you talk about it from a betting perspective, what you got to understand is that, I mean, Armin was minus one seventy-five at one point. Armin was minus two hundred at one point. So you got in on that minus one seventy-five. You got in on that minus two hundred. You did your job, but minus three ten. I mean, what the fuck am I supposed to do with minus three ten? You understand what I'm saying? So I'm all good on that. I think it's actually a dogger pass situation at plus two sixty. I'm just. Not really trying to have money against Arman Sarukian. I mean, you can I can word it a certain way and say things like, "Well, it's not a fade on Arman; it's a bet on Benil," which I completely understand. Uh, but I'm just not. I, I just really think that Armin's trajectory is towards the top. And with Benil, not that he's on his way out. I truly believe Benil strings two or three wins together. He can get a title shot, too. And he is good enough to win this fight. But what I do think here, despite the fact that Benil's never lost a decision before, he's also never fought five rounds before. And not that that's, you know, I mean, I've seen him in third rounds looking fresh. I've also seen him in third rounds not looking fresh. But the bottom line, what I'm trying to say is um, I think that Armin is going to push the kind of pace to where once this hits that third fourth fifth round that's when i see him starting to maybe establish a bit more top control if the fight even gets there because oftentimes when you think that these guys are going to neutralize each other have crazy scrambles and it's going to be this dog fight you think it gets extended but sometimes man i mean with these two guys you've seen both of them knocked out before you've seen both of them wobble before Maybe they want to test their stand up and someone could hit the deck here. Uh, I'm not writing off that possibility either. I just don't know what to expect. You run this fight 10 times. It's a different outcome every time. Not saying that, you know, it's a 50-50 fight because I don't think it's a 50-50 fight. But what I'm trying to say is that I can see an early knockout for either guy. You know, in this fight, I could also see this being a five round war. I could see the early going kind of being competitive and then someone pulls away down the stretch. So there's just a lot of different ways I can see it going. But bottom line, I'm going with Armand. And it's not because I think Benil's on his way out. I don't think Benil's on his way out. I, I just, uh, when I watch Armand, I'm just like, man, he's so good. And I, but I, I say the same thing as about Benil, too. Um, it's just I think Armand a little bit younger, a little bit fresher. Um, and just that physicality that it brings to the table, I think his ground game is good enough to to you know kind of neutralize Benny in terms of look. These first few scrambles are going to be intense. Let's just leave it at that. But once we get past that a little bit, that's when I think that maybe Arman can possibly settle in to top control and maybe grind out some of the later rounds. But this fight could realistically uh, play out in a variety of ways. But I, I'm still favoring Armand Sarukian to get it done. So next up, co-main event of the evening, we got Bobby King Green. He's thirty-one and fourteen, welcoming Jalen Turner, who's thirteen and seven, on short notice to to save the uh, the co-main event. So much respect, Jalen Turner. Much respect, Bobby Green, because I I know I know there's guys like Wonder Boy who won't take a short notice replacement, and if Jalen Turner misses weight. Bobby Green isn't going to even bat an eye. And, and remember, uh, people were telling me, oh, but, you know, Wonder Boy's old now. So, you know, no, like, how, how could you hold it against him that he ruined one of the best fights on the car? Well, guys, it was Michelle that ruined it by missing weight. Let me tell you something right now. Jalen took this fight on like a week notice. Jalen missed weight his last fight when he had full notice. If Jalen misses weight here, you know what Bobby's going to say? I'll see you tomorrow inside the UFC Zocca. He's going to say, give me that 20 to 30% and I'm going to whoop your ass. You know what I'm saying? Whereas when you pull the shit that Wonder Boy pulled, okay, you don't want to fight Michelle Pereira who only missed weight by three pounds? All right. Here's Shaft Cat. Here's the guy you've ducked for the last two years. Here's the guy you publicly said you wanted no part of. Here's Shaft Cat. Whereas Bobby Green, you don't got to worry about that. And let's talk about age because everyone was like, Whoa, well, Wonder Boy, he's up there in age. Bro, Bobby Green's like 37. So It's just it's a different mentality, and the kind of mentality Bobby Green has, he's not going to give a fuck if Jalen missed weight. The only way this fight would get uh, pulled off or Jalen missing weight is athletic commission not letting it happen, you know, the doctors, something like that. But Bobby Green, I mean, I just heard this interview with Bobby Green. He went on Rampage's podcast, and he was talking about how he's down to spar rampage, and it wasn't, you know, some tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha. No, he was like, yo, let's put on the gloves right now. He was telling... He was fucking telling Rampage like, "Dude, like you ain't gonna be able to touch me," and Rampage is like 250 pounds. And I'm not saying that you know Bobby wouldn't have gotten hurt, but I'm just telling you, those are the kind of balls Bobby has. Bobby will fight anyone, anytime, any place. So if you think that if Jalen misses weight and Bobby's gonna pull a Wonder Boy, yeah, fucking forget about it. You know what I'm saying, man? Bobby's gonna show up unless the doctors or the Or the uh, state athletic commission. Don't let it happen. But as far as how they match up, here's my concern for Bobby in this spot. So, Jalen Turner, you guys know what he brings to the table. He's obviously a very destructive striker, but what I think is important to talk about is his physical attributes. This is a guy who is six foot three in the lightweight division. You don't often see that. He's got the 77 inch reach and he knows how to fight long so this early going bobby green while he's starting to figure out his style uh, not figure out his style figure out jalen style kind of get his timing kind of get his reads a little bit um he's gonna have to be very careful you know bobby does like to fight with his hands down might duck into something you got to be worried about those knees up the middle those long range strikes you know you think you're safe you know fighting against someone that's your size but that same distance where you're safe with them, you're not gonna necessarily be safe against someone like Jalen with that long ass reach who knows how to use that long ass reach. But here's my issue with Jalen: I think Jalen has come a long way. If you look at Jalen's past fights, er, like like I'm talking before UFC, like you would have been like, Yeah, this dude ain't never gonna be a top 10 guy. And for him to make it to where he's made it to in the UFC, put on the kind of performances he's put on. Hey, Jalen Turner, you're the fucking man. And for being one of the biggest guys at 55s and to take this fight on a week and a half short notice hey dog <laughs> like you yeah, that, that's some gangster shit right there so i got nothing but respect for both these guys but i think that bobby green is habitually underrated i mean last time we easily cashed on him at plus 390 against that fraud grant dawson and now he's fighting another young guy granted this young guy is not a fraud and this young guy is very dangerous so what i think is that The early going, man, Jalen Turner, man, that first round and a half, boy, he's hell on wheels, and there's a chance he can knock Bobby out. But if Bobby can survive this early going, not saying that Bobby can't get an early knockout, he's gotten a few of those in his time, but I'm just saying Jalen is hell on wheels while he's fresh. But the thing is, with those weight cuts, with that size, um, and with the kind of pace that Jalen Turner pushes jalen's a guy that's going to slow down as fights progress and that's not a matter of him not running his miles for him to make for a six foot three man with a 77 inch reach with his physique to make 155 pounds you bet your fucking ass he's running his miles even if he misses weight this guy this guy's taking his shit seriously it's just he's fucking huge this guy could fight at 70s you understand what i'm saying so uh early going's going to be a sweat um As you can tell, I'm leaning towards Bobby Green here. Um, just the fact that first of all, the experience difference, it's just you got to factor in the the danger, the danger factor for for Jalen. I I mean you can't deny it. Like if I'm betting Bobby Green here, I know there's a distinct possibility that Jalen Turner might knock him out. But I also know there's a distinct possibility that if this fight goes over, Jalen Turner has never won a decision in the UFC. Every single time the fight's gone past the second round. Jalen Turner has lost, and um, let me just make sure he didn't have any third round finishes in there that I'm that I'm fucking up. No, he didn't. A- every time a fight's gone past the second round, he's lost. Um, but the thing, man, is I've noticed this from like people can talk about his last two fights where where you know he lost decisions. I don't need to talk about those fights. Let's talk about the Jamie malarkey fight, round two in that Jamie malarkey fight. Like, y'all don't remember because because Jalen Turner beat the living shit out of Jamie Malarkey, but Jamie Malarkey had a moment in that fight. Jamie Malarkey had Jalen Turner doing a little wobble-wobble. Not quite a chicken dance like Armin did against Joaquin Silva, but uh, he definitely got wobbled. His his legs definitely kind of went a little bit. I think Bobby Green is live for a knockout here as well, but I think the longer this fight goes, once Bobby starts to make his reads, starts to find that distance, because that's the big thing about this fight is whose distance is going to be played at because again you got a short guy and bobby Green. i say short he's not that short he's 5'10 but i'm talking about you know against a six foot three guy he is the short guy here so it's at what range are they going to be playing at but especially early on bro because early on that's where i'm worried about bobby potentially hitting the deck but i really think if you get me to that seven minute mark i think bobby can take over assuming that no one's been finished up until that point so i like bobby here man i think bobby can put up the output i think bobby can mix in the wrestling as well um bobby can grapple too don't sleep on his grappling and Jalen turner while he's gotten a lot better you cannot shoot a sloppy shot on a guy like Jalen turner with those long ass arms he can snatch up any kind of those long man chokes ninja choke guillotine anaconda darts whatever the case may be um bobby's very hard to submit but um just saying, with those long man arms, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, I mean, here's my thing. I'm gonna be sweating bullets early on, but Bobby, get me to that seven and a half mark, unless you've knocked him out before that. And uh, I think we take over, man. Especially with that. Like, I'm not saying Jalen's gonna miss. Maybe Jalen misses way. Maybe he doesn't miss way. Whatever. That's neither here nor there. But what I think is that the weight cut itself make it or not make it, it is going to drain him as the fight progresses because even in fights that he's had full training camps for he slows down as fights progress could it be because Jalen turner you know he, he goes hard or could it be because the man is so goddamn big for that weight class and those weight cuts take their toll you only got 24 hours to recover I, i'm going i'm going with the ufc's hit man here man i'm going with bobby king green to get another upset here against Jalen turner and uh I think that if Bobby Green can string together a few huge wins like like he's doing right now, Tony Ferguson, and then Grant Dawson, and then if you can come out here and put on an impressive performance against Jalen Turner, like I really think that Bobby Green could be like a. Uh, a Nate Diaz slash Jorge Masvidal type guy because he is one of those guys like he doesn't have a perfect record, but he consistently puts on the kind of fights the fans want to see. He's got an awesome personality and he's an OG and a gangster. So we want to see guys like that do well. It's just about when's he going to get his break? Like when's he going to have his Ben Askren versus uh, Jorge Masvidal viral moment where you know, all, you know, it seems like an overnight success, but the guy's been paying his dues for how long now? I mean, I remember catching a plus 250 on Bobby Green against Josh Thompson back in the day. So, you know, before Dana White said, be Joe Pfeiffer, he said, be Bobby Green. Um, so I want to see Bobby Green come in here, play it smart for the early going, find his range, and then start to put the volume on Jalen Turner, possibly mix in some takedowns. And yeah, I'm going Bobby Green in this one. Now featured bout in the bantamweight division, we got Rob Font, or as we like to say in Brazil, Hobby Font. She's twenty and seven. Welcoming Davison Dice Duguea Figueiredo, to the, uh, who's twenty one three and one to the, uh, to the bantamweight division. It says twenty one three and one, but we all know that draw against Moreno was bullshit. We all know Davison won that fight. So as far as I'm concerned, he's twenty two and three. Currently, they got it. Uh, Rob Font minus. 142. The comeback on Davison, Dice Duguay, Figueredo is plus 122. So I took Davison here at, at plus 125. um I see a lot of people concerned about him moving up to Bantamweight. Actually, I've been wanting him to move up to Bantamweight. Man, those weight cuts for him to make 25s, oh my God, they took everything out of him. Man. And when you watch those four fights against Moreno, every fight was so drastically different. I felt like Davison clearly won the first and third fights. And then the, the second and fourth fights, I mean, he got the shit being out of them the second and fourth fights. And I just think that those weight cuts, you know, and he, and he was training in Brazil. And you know what that means when he's training in Brazil that after practice, he can go to auntie's uh, Picanha Brazilian barbecue. You know what I mean? Whereas now, for this fight, Just like in the third fight against Moreno, he got out of his comfort zone. He's training at fight ready. He doesn't have the yes-men around him. When he's done training, he he can't just go to the Brazilian Churrascaria. Like, he's locked in now. And when Davidson's locked in, I think he's one of the scariest guys on the planet. What I'm worried about here is, you guys know what I'm worried about. I'm worried about that goddamn jab of Rob Font. Rob Font has an elite jab, and if Davidson's just staying at the end of that jab, you know, then I'm probably going to lose this bet. But I think that... One big thing is that Rob Font could be getting off on volume, and similar to what we saw in the Pedro Munoz fight and the Jose Aldo fight and the Chito Vera fight, um, Rob Font does not uh, take shots as well as he used to. Now, he's ultra-durable and he's ultra-tough. He's never truly been knocked out, but his face is falling apart in fights. He's doing more and more chicken dances. He's getting dropped more. Even in that Adrian Yanez fight, where we all remember that incredible knockout. and It was an incredible rockout, but Adrian Yanez was rocking him too. And I truly think that, yes, Davison is, is a flyweight, but you got to understand, usually these guys, when they move up in weight class, first few fights, they have a lot of success. I'm not talking about fucking Luke Rockhold, who already had no chin and moved up to light heavyweight and just got blown out. Like, I'm not talking about some bullshit like that. I'm talking about, remember when Dustin Poirier moved up from 45 to 55 and went on a huge fucking run? Remember when Kelvin Gastelum first moved up to middleweight and, like, he had an 100% knockdown rate like back then. He dropped every single guy he fought for the first, like, five, six guys he fought up that weight class. Look at Alex Pereira moving up, winning a belt. So I'm just saying, like, these guys that move up, like, first few fights, they usually do good, assuming that they're not damaged goods already, like a Luke Rockhold. And I don't think that Davis and Figueredo's damaged goods yet. Now, that's where I could be wrong. But my thing is, all his fights, like, against Moreno, it was like literally every fight was so different how he performed. And I think it's due to those wake us just being too much. And now that he's out of a fight ready, he was already a massive flyaway. I think he might be a shorter bantamweight, but he, he my boy's cocked. Don't make no mistake about it. His power will translate at a, uh, at Bantamweight, and I think that basically the way I expect this fight to go, as someone who bet Davison Figueredo in the spot at plus one twenty five, is that I think Rob Font's probably going to be getting off on um, on volume, but Davison's going to have those big moments. You know, you know, it might be three jabs in a row by Font, but then that one shot that Davison cracks him with, then you see that big reaction, you see that big wobble, you see, you know, maybe a drop. I could see like the Pedro Munoz fight when um Rob Font was lighting up Pedro Munoz Pedro hits him with one shot immediately (laughs) Rob Font shoots a a takedown on the guy with one of the nastiest guillotines in in the division the fight with John Lineker John Lineker had Rob Font pulling guard so what I'm just saying is Rob Font does not like getting hit hard by these Brazilians look at the Aldo fight look at the Cheeto fight he's not Brazilian he's Ecuadorian but I'm saying by by my uh my South American brothers. (laughs) Should we say it like that? You know what I mean? Um, But uh, Dan said, I feel late on this one, but you think there's still value at a figure at plus 110? I think there's value at dog money. Just assuming that he's not just completely washed or something like that. I mean, but this is the risk I'm willing to take because you think about it. Adrian Yanez was like minus 160, but uh, what the fuck has Adrian Yanez accomplished? A couple good wins in the UFC. We respect him. We like his style, but Davison's like a fucking... Real ass championship caliber fighter, and he was at flyweight, which was one, which is like the most technical division in the UFC. And now he's moving up; it's going to be a big relief for him. And I respect Font, but like I, I've I've just only been talking about you know Rob Font getting wobbled in multiple fights, multiple multiple fights, right? Like I named you a bunch of examples, but what about that last fight against San Egan where? You got taken down against a non-wrestler. Like y'all want to act like Sanhagen's a wrestler now? <laughs> like, like stop, you know. Um, Sanhagen, he has been rounding out his game. You got to give him credit. But like that was a pathetic fucking fight, dude. Um, and Font uh, couldn't get up from bottom against an injured opponent. Now I'm not saying that Davison is all of a sudden going to be D1 Davison. That's not what he fights. But a takedown here and there won't hurt, especially if this guy can't get up. So it's just about as long as Davison's not damaged goods think he's alive here especially with the power especially whether it's knocking him down hurting him whether it's it's rocking him and making him shoot a sloppy shot into that guillotine um or whether it's just landing the harder shots throughout the bout it's just i know as a Davidson better if he's just on the wrong end of that jab for the you know duration of the fight then i know i'm gonna lose that bet like i'm not i'm not fucking delusional here but i think that we're going to be landing the harder shots we're going to be making making the biggest impact we're going to get those wobbles those chicken dances possibly those drops and maybe even a finish along the way so i'm going davison dice dugea figueredo here to to win his uh, bantamweight debut in the ufc now next up in the welterweight division we got a matchup between sean brady he's 15 and 1 taking on kelvin gastelum who's 18 and 8 currently they got it sean brady minus 120 the comeback on kelvin gastelum is plus 100 It's a very interesting fight because um i got a lot to say about both guys so firstly let me let me just start off on this point so i don't forget it so a lot of people uh haven't mentioned what is kelvin gastelum's history against people with sean brady's kind of style and body type you know they got Sean Brady listed at 5'10". Dude, Sean Brady is no 5'10". Sean, Sean Brady is like 5'8", maybe even 5'7". But he's short, stocky cock. And we're on the street. He's one of the strongest guys that people tie, tie up with in the gym. And that, uh, that apparently his squeeze on his chokes is second to none. So you got you to gotta be worried about that. And then I also like the fact that, like, early on in fights, like, Sean Brady's a physical force. Like, even that first round against Bilal, like, we just remember Bilal absolutely breaking him and giving him a way out and destroying him and being the first guy in a long time that Bilal's finished via strikes. But what we don't remember is that that first round, Brady, Brady was bringing it, right? And, and a similar theme, that first round against Kiesa, Brady was bringing it. it. And it's just that when I bet on Brady against Kiesa and that third round comes through and kiesa is looking like k1 kiesa and we all know kiesa has got no stand-up whatsoever and kiesa is the one putting it on him i got certain questions that i'm not ready to make this claim yet but what i am ready to say is i have suspicions about sean brady kind of having a bit of that bully mentality when he's the hammer oh my god like oh this guy's so strong this guy's got such a squeeze but if you can get past his initial storm and he seems to break as fights progress he seems. So here's my thing. I I think, okay, so when I hear people talk about Brady, like you hear Joe Pfeiffer talk about Brady, you hear Paul Felder talk about Brady. They're always like, man, I've never felt anyone so strong and this and that. And kind of what that gives me the impression of is that he's kind of got that bully mentality. And we talk about that often where, you know, amazing hammer, not the best nail. And if you can kind of stand up to the bully a bit, that's when he starts to break. So that's one thing. And then another thing with with Kelvin, I was talking about his history fighting these body types, this kind of 5'8 to 5'10, short, stocky, kind of, you know, strong grappler, but that also can, you know, throw some hands and stuff. And, like, let's literally look at his history with these guys. Brian Melanson was – y'all probably don't remember him, but y'all old-school fans know exactly who the fuck I'm talking about. Brian Melanson was his first, uh, you know – 5 8 short stocky you know strong grappler this and that and kelvin easily got him out of there in the first round next one was rick story exact same body type as as, as sean brady and kelvin gastelum overcame some tough spots to, to go out there and win the decision next one jake ellenberg exact jake ellenberger exact same body type as sean brady and guys no, I am not comparing the washed-up Jake Ellenberger to the current-day form of Brady. What I'm saying is that fight was in 2014, so that was a prime Ellenberger. Kelvin gets him out of there in round one. Tyron Woodley, same kind of body type as Sean Brady. They went to a split decision. Uh, Johnny Hendricks, same kind of you know uh, body type as Sean Brady. And former D1 wrestler, and guys, this is back in 2016, Kelvin got that one. Tim Kennedy a little bit bigger because he's a middleweight, but same kind of little short stockier for middleweight, strong grappler. Kelvin finished him in round three. Uh, the Ray fight, uh, elite, elite black belt. Um, and I'm talking about in 2018, Kelvin overcame some really bad spots to come back to win that fight. The Jacker Manson fight, well, Jacker Manson's also like 6'1", 6'2". And I thought Kelvin looked good early, but he got caught in a heel hook. Okay, maybe that could happen again so besides those are all like the kind of like short stocky like prototype sean brady guys he's fought, so he's got a pretty good history with this style the only thing is that obviously kelvin moving down to to 70 for the first time in a long time but i also have had questions about where kelvin's at in his career because right now he's kind of at a hit or miss stage and I've had success betting him in the past, and I've had failures betting him in the past. You know, whether he, when he came through for me against, you know, Tim Kennedy, Nate Mark, or uh, all these guys, when he didn't come uh, through uh, for me against Neil Magney. But again, six 6'3. Brady's like 5'8. You know, it says 5'10. He ain't no 5'10. Well, let me tell you that right now. Um, I stood next to him. He was shorter than me. So this dude ain't no 5'10. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically what I'm trying to say is that if Kelvin doesn't have an off night, I really think this is a good matchup for him. The only thing is that we still don't know enough about Brady um, because he hasn't really fought anybody, um, but take that for what it's worth because, again, he may have not fought anybody today, but that doesn't mean tomorrow that he can't go out there and beat somebody. But but what I'm trying to say is what I've gathered from him like take the ball ball fight away. But like when Kiesa is looking like K1 Kiesa in round three, that is very sketchy. It's just, we don't know what to expect from Kelvin. Um, he's very hit or miss as well. But when he's on his game, like I told you when he first got the middleweight, like he literally knocked down in like his first five or six opponents. Like the guy's got hands, especially from that South stance punches and bunches, and he can grapple too. It's just, sometimes you'll have these performances where he looks a little unmotivated so, Dad, this is a tough one for me. Um, I, I'm I'm leaning I'm leaning towards Kelvin because when what I've seen at their best, Kelvin has impressed me more. The only thing is that if he lays an egg here, which he's done in fights in the past, Sean Brady has that. Uh, you know, is a very strong guy. I'm sure he's learned a lot from that loss. We just got to see exactly is is Sean Brady that bully where you know you know like I was talking about where. You know, great hammer, not a great nail. Like, is that the case? Does he have a cardio issue? Or were these just growing pains to get him to where he needs to be? So this is a fantastic fight that's going to let us know a lot. I'm going to lean towards Kelvin if it's the Kelvin we all know and love. It's just how many times have I been been burnt expecting that guy to show up, right? So, yeah, it's tough, but I'm going to go Kelvin. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between clay the carpenter guida he's 38 and 23 god damn it's a lot of fucking fights <laughs> um, and uh, his opponent Joaquim neto bjj silva who's 12 and 4 currently they got it Joaquim silva minus 300 the comeback on uh on clay guida is plus 250 so Man, shout out to y'all that got in. You know, what was it? There was like a minus 185, minus 200 on, on Neto BJJ. I think y'all did your job, but now minus 300. I don't think there's any value left. Like Because here's the thing uh, about Guida. Guida one of these guys that, firstly, he's a legend in the sport. I mean, when you look at his resume, I mean, beat Pettis, beat Rafael Dos Anjos, beat Nate Diaz, like, beat BJ Penn, beat the ghost of BJ Penn, but still beat BJ Penn. So the guys have been around a long time. He beat the who's who. Um, and from time to time, he'll surprise you. Like I do, st- I definitely think he's on his way out. I, no, no questions asked. It's just that he's got a very grinding and stifling style where he gets on top of guys that tend not to get back up. So that's the only thing I'd be worried about if he can hump Joakim for two of the three rounds. But here's the thing with with Joakim: it might not be the fastest guy, but the guy cracks extremely hard. Point in case: Armin Sarukian said that Joakim Silva is the hardest hitter he's ever fought. And he's got world-class jujitsu. Now, I know people like to joke about how he doesn't win any fights by submission in the UFC. You need to look into it a little bit deeper than that because you watch his fight against Jared Gordon, and all er- everyone ever remembers is the knockout, which is a fucking beautiful knockout. But I think it was that late second round, was it? One of these rounds where he had that uh, knee bar from the back, the salute of stretch um, on uh, Jared Gordon. And like that was a very high-level attempt. You watch his grappling match he had with Neil Magny, who's way bigger than him. Um, and he choked him out with a guillotine. Like, so Joachim Silva can grapple his ass off. He's just one of these guys that chooses to bang, kind of like a new school George Gergel. where he's got the world-class jujitsu, but uh let, let him bang, bro. You know what I'm saying? So the way I see it going on, I can see a knockout for Joachim Silva, I can see him uh hurting Guida, and then Guida shoots into a guillotine. The Only thing I'm worried about, especially at a price like this, is that Guida is able to just get on top of him and, and you know, the life alert help, I've fallen and can't get up. You know, that that's the only thing I'm worried about. But besides that, I think Joachim Silva's got the goods to finish this fight. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Puna Haley Soriano. He's nine and three, taking on Dustin Stoltzfus, who's 14 and five. Currently, they got it. Puna Haley Soriano, minus 300. The comeback on Dustin Stoltzfus is uh, plus 250. So, you know, it's an interesting fight because Puna, when he came to the USC, we had high hopes for him, man. I was calling him Hawaiian Vitor. You know, he's from that southpaw stance. He's got nasty knockout power. Um, there are questions concerning, not that his gas tank sucks because, I mean, the guy is in shape. When you see him and he's got those fucking traps and he looks like a goddamn, what does he look like? is it like a dinosaur or some shit like a fucking, yeah, he looks like ridiculous. Uh, the punasaurus Rex, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, I, I think it's one of these situations with Puna where, you know, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, he's, he's still figuring things out, man. He's only had 12 pro fights. He's been kind of growing up in front of our eyes. He came into the UFC at only six and oh, you know, so he's got to figure some things out and, um also for a guy who's got like an all-american wrestling background now granted i think it might have been d3 which not to discredit d3 if you're a d3 wrestler you're a bad motherfucker i'll tell you that right now if y'all got any questions about that coming to my gym i'll match you up with one our one of our d3 wrestlers and if you can get past that then i'll match you up with our d1 guy <laughs> no but what i'm trying to say is that like just because you know i hear people making fun of someone oh you're d2 you're d3 oh you're juco like Dude, those guys are badasses, too. Like, make no mistake about it. It's just we don't really see that that wrestling from Puna. We like to see him do the Hawaiian uh, stand and bang, the Hawaiian Vitor. Uh, my thing with Dustin Stoltzfus is I don't think he's a bad fighter at all, man. I actually think that black belt in jiu-jitsu, um, decently well-rounded. It's just that I think that where he lacks is in the mental department. I don't think that – you know, I don't really know the guy, but I, I question – his killer instinct, him really going for it. I question um, his belief in himself in bad positions. I'm sure like in the gym, he's awesome. It's just, I know so many guys like that, like in the gym, they're like the best guy and they can really teach you all these techniques and they're like a wealth of knowledge. But when it comes down to actually performing under the lights, they just just don't put it together. They freak out when they get into bad spots and all these things. So, you know, it's almost like a a self-sabotage type ordeal like which is interesting because someone else in his way class named Cody Brundage has the same thing. They should have done Dustin stolz versus Cody Brundage to uh you know what I'm saying to 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 guarantee that one of them goes home. But I know what they're doing. They're trying to get puna to send Dustin home and they're trying to get the Zach Reese guy to send Cody Brundage home. So I get it. But bottom line I think puna is gonna be a bit too aggressive for Dustin Stoltzfus. Um it's just you know he's still young in his career he doesn't even have 10 uh 10 pro wins under his belt yet he's still figuring things out i would not lay the chalk on him but i do think that he should come up here and he should come out here and rough this guy up so i'm gonna go puna haley soriano y'all do me a huge favor smash that like button for me please subscribe if you're not subscribed when this is over leave me a comment if you feel so inclined please share and then also big thank you to all you guys that showed me big love for episode 500 last week man i really felt the love i really appreciated it and uh i can't thank you enough so much love next up in the bantamweight division we got the former women's bantamweight champion misha tate Uh, she's 19 and 9 taking on julia avila who's nine and two currently they got it uh julia avila minus 144 the comeback on misha tates plus 124 so here's what i do know and here's what i don't know what i do know is that misha tate is completely washed up uh, firstly, shout out to Misha Tate, cause even though I'm not a fan of Misha Tate at all, like I actually don't like Misha Tate. I don't know her personally, but every time I hear her talk, there's like a certain kind of arrogance that I don't like. And don't get me wrong. People call me arrogant, cocky all the time too, but it's different. Cause like, I'm actually like, like a lot of it's tongue in cheek, joking around being sarcastic and uh i do try to be there for people not that misha's not now we're getting into a whole tangent but like no but just every time i hear her talk there's just like a certain arrogance that i just don't like about her um i don't know just you got the fighters you like and the fighters you don't like but who gives a fuck at the end of the day despite me not liking misha tate she's a pioneer of the sport man she was one of the first women to really make that push and you Know around in the in the early Ronda Rousey days and the Strike Force days, and she was doing her thing and what she was known for was like, man, y'all watch that Julie Kedzie fight. How long it was that shit, bro? The Julie Kedzie fight was 2012. I remember watching that fight in 2012 in Strike Force. Julie Kedzie drops her with a head kick. You think the fight's, you know, about to be over. And Misha Tay comes back and finishes that fight in round three. You know what I'm saying? So hey, one thing about misha she's got a lot of toughness but she does not like getting hit she's super one-dimensional she's just got the old wrestling style for like the 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 primitive stages of women's um and then with avila before her pregnancy thing like man i thought that she was a bit of a prospect in the division i thought that i liked her aggression i like that she goes for it i like that she's overcome ups and downs and um, I feel like she's starting to put things together. It's just that you know, coming off the pregnancy, from what we're on the street is girls coming off pregnancy. That first fight back, they don't always look their best. Uh, but at the same time, so so what we do know is we know Misha Tate's completely washed up. What we don't know is how's Julia Avila gonna look coming off the pregnancy, the layoff, the this the that. So if I'm guaranteed the same aggressive, mean goes for it, wants to beat the hell out of you, Julia Avila, then i'm confident if you know she's she's softened up softened up a little bit i'm not even talking about physique because i know she actually blew up to like 200 something pounds but i saw a recent picture she looks like she's in shape man i mean listen they go through a lot of changes in their body so much respect to all the ladies out there you know what i'm saying all love but it it just comes down to has the mindset change of julia vila if she's still that mean you know Um, that mean bitch trying to... And I say bitch not about her character, but uh, about fighting-wise, you know what I'm saying? Like, is she still that mean bitch trying to go out there and and trying to make you pay, not just trying to... You know, Misha Tate kind of just grinds it out, makes it boring, and and Gina and, and Misha Tate got uh outclassed by like a 40 year old lauren, lauren murphy not too long ago. don't forget about that either and her one went back i love me some marion Renault, but y'all know marion Renault was like 45 46 at the time so you, you can't put any stock into that so we know misha tate is done we just don't know what to expect from avila that's what makes it interesting but if you give me the avila that i knew was this aggressive prospect that really goes for it then i think she should break misha tate Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Cody Brundage. He's 9-5, and welcoming Zach Reese, who's 6-0 and to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Zach Reese, minus 230. The comeback on Cody Brundage is plus 195. So, on one hand, I understand it's minus 230 to fade Cody Brundage. So, you know, let's get that out the way. Like, long-term, you're going to win fading this guy. But the thing is, we don't know shit about Zach Reese except that All his fights have ended inside the first round, which is not his fault. Hey, it's not your fault that none of these guys can go past the first round with you. The other thing is he's six foot four with a 77-inch reach. He's gonna be significantly bigger than this guy. It's just I'm worried about, you know, a guy who's never even he's only been to the four minute mark in a fight once, man. All his fights for the most part. Um half of his fights have ended in under a minute, you know, which there's nothing wrong with. I, I I love it. I love the destruction. I love the finishes. And it's not your fault that these guys can't get past that with you. It's just that at the UFC level, these guys aren't just going to get finished in the first round, especially as you move up the ranks. Cody Brundage might get finished in the first round. Um, you know, Cody Brundage, his issue is not his skills. Like I can wrestle. The guy's got a good guillotine. The guy has shown power before in his hands. The issue with, is, cody's up here mentally cody brunage is a mental midget um and you know and now he's putting his social medias on private and I, I just don't think that mentally he's got what it takes in this game he's a good ham he's a good hammer he's not a good nail as soon as any kind of adversity presents itself he checks out the fight every single time and you know guys like this all the time like i said i bet cody brunage in the gym is like a great training partner and he is a skilled guy he's not a, like like again i don't think his skills are bad i just think we talk about it all the time the mental part of the game is just as big as the physical and the techniques and you don't have that mental part of the game unlock. like you remember when frankie edgar was doing his title ran what was frankie edgar known for in his title ran you drop him like three four times and then he comes back and drowns you and You're not gonna drop cody brundish three or four times and expect him to come back in the fight you drop him one time he's covering up and looking to go home check please you know (laughs) so (laughs) it's one of those things man where i just don't know anything about zach Reese except that he's big he's physical he gets a lot of first round finishes so the the funny thing about it is that if cody doesn't have this you know doesn't beat himself mentally before the fight begins he actually might have a chance here to grind this guy out but since I can't trust Cody Brundage and I'm not in the business of picking Cody Brundage to win UFC fights, I'll go with Zach Reese here, but I'm not going to lay the price on him because I don't know shit about him. Show me that you can handle Cody Brundage the way you're supposed to handle Cody Brundage. Because there's been times where like a young prospect like uh, Trey Sean wasn't quite ready for, for Cody Brundage. He got caught. Is Zach Reese kind of like in terms of the lower level experience is he kind of just not quite seasoned enough, right? Because there still are levels to this shit. But I just think that Cody is so mentally defeated that, you know, guys that aren't in the, the guys that are not in the UFC can finish him straight up. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Joe Selecki, who's 13 and three, taking on Dirac Car close, who is 13, 2 and 1 currently. They got it dracar minus 120 the comeback on joe selecki is plus 100 uh this is a tough one to call because you know no pun intended but every dracar close fight for the most part is so fucking close his fights come down to the wire so usually in those cases you want to take the dog um unless like you're a dude that really doesn't belong like 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 a Devin powell or uh or a brandon jenkins and no no disrespect brandon jenkins outside the ufc puts on a lot of exciting fights but in the ufc just doesn't translate like dracar will run through guys like that but anyone that's ufc caliber it's usually a super competitive close fight where you're just kind of able to just kind of grind out you know minutes and stuff like that and like you know get his calf kicked Calf kick game going, pin you up against the fence, mixing a takedown or two, and just kind of hustle. And with Joe Selecki, he's a high level black belt. Um, his striking has been getting a little bit better. I know that he's a guy that kind of closes his eyes when he strikes. He's been chinned more than once. Nicholas mata got him. that credit to mata I know Mada's not UFC caliber, but but mata uh cracks. One thing about mata is Mata can crack. And that was a vicious ass knockout. I don't know if y'all ever saw, it. man. That was a that was a brutal ass knockout. Um when uh, Mata knocked out Selecki. But, man, Selecki's been doing his thing lately. It's just, um, man, I didn't really think he won that Alex De Silva fight, to be honest with you. But the Jared Gordon fight, I was surprised it was a split. I thought that Jared clearly won that fight. And then, um, so it's one of those things. Joseph Selecki, like I said, he's got very good jujitsu. His stand-up's been getting better offensively. It's just defensively, I got worries about his chin. I got worried about him fatiguing down the stretch in fights um so i'm not sure i'm really not sure on this one i'm a lean dracar just to have another typical dracar performance where it's just a super close fight people betting Selecki are gonna think they got robbed if it goes to Selecki, people that think that bet Dracar are gonna think they got robbed this is one of those fights i mean watch it not be one of those fights but going into it before the fact i think it's one of those fights i'm a lean dracar split decision yes yeah i mean but you know, in a split decision tie fight, you should take the dog. But yeah, I just don't have the best read, so it's a pass for me. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Steve Garcia, he's fourteen and five, taking on Mel Costa, Mel Costa, who's twenty and six. Currently, they got it. Mel Costa minus two forty-five. The comeback on Steve Garcia is plus two ten. Um, I gotta be honest, man. Well, I'm always honest, but I-, I wanted to preface what I'm saying, uh, what I'm about to say with. You know, I want to be honest. I was never that impressed with Mel Costa until his last fight, man. Like, I thought going, coming into the UFC, when I watched his regional fights, I felt like, look, he's got good experience, he's got good techniques, but I felt like kind of lacks a little bit of IQ in the in the finishing fights department. I've seen multiple occasions where he's had guys on the ropes and just wasn't able to close the show. But granted, nothing wrong with losing a decision. But I, I thought, like, I laid minus 300 straight on Tiago Moises and that cash because I thought that, mel Costa was going to be two fights in and out and i was wrong that last fight against lingo man he looked incredible against lingo now granted lingo is you know kind of a basic meat and potatoes fighter kind of you know a lower ranked guy but um still for mel to put on that kind of three-round performance i thought that that was a big step in the right direction and it uh it definitely impressed me uh, but here with his opponent Steve Garcia, man, Steve Garcia comes to fight, bro. Steve Garcia is mean. He goes for it. The guy has landed, shit, five knockdowns in his UFC and contender series history. But he's also been on the wrong end of four knockdowns. So what that means is he's a killer be killed type type guy. I think that if this turns into a brawl, I think that that favors Steve. But I think that if Mel can kind of keep this on the outside use those long range strikes and I say that but you know what's funny about that is that Steve Garcia is the taller guy. Steve Garcia has the 4 inch reach advantage. But Steve Garcia but I say that and the the dynamic about even about Steve being the bigger guy and Mel, not is that Mel's the one that likes to fight long, Steve's the one that likes to kind of brawl. So it should be exciting. It just depends about what range this fight takes place in. In the pocket, I favor Steve. Out at distance, I favor Mel. Um, so, yeah, this is a this is a tough one for me to call because, um, you know. I, like going into Mel's last fight, I really thought that, you know, it wasn't going to pan out in the UFC, but he looked so damn good in that fight. But I also don't want to overreact to just one performance, which was a very favorable matchup nonetheless. I'm a lean Mel, but I'm not interested at this price at all. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Ihor Potieria. He's 20 and four, welcoming Rodolfo Bellato, who's 11 and two to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Adolfo Bilato, um, minus 400. The comeback on Igor Pateria is plus 330. Um, so Belato, listen, man, Belato is a Brazilian banger. Belato is the kind of guy he's going to throw heavy kicks. He's going to throw heavy bombs. Um and i mean the fight hits the mat he knows what he's doing there too whether it's leg locks rear naked chokes whatever the case may be his only losses are to vitor petrino both times via knockout the second time a lot closer than the first uh but uh yeah the guy's big the guy's physical six foot three with a 77 inch reach um and they call him uh, the track uh trator which means tractor for a reason cuz this guy uh is is he's a truck man and then with Ehor my thing with Ehor is I think Ehor wow oh, he's 27 why did I think he was like 23 um for so Ehor comes into the UFC with like a super padded record and I'm talking about a padded record where like he was getting knocked out by guys who were like 2 and 2 and then <laughs> listen to this when Ehor was 14 and 2 he he fought a 0 and 0 guy when Ehor was 15 and 2 he fought an 0 and 3 guy like that's disgusting bro <laughs> but you know so you look at the contender series fight he came in as a big dog and he kind of broke the guy down a little bit it was kind of like a poor man's nikita krilov type fight uh type performance and then he fought nikolai nagumariano and nikolai really broke him uh, down the stretch really put it on him fatigued him and just teed off the mauricio shogun hua fight like i get it shogun uh that was his retirement fight he's on his way but still To fight Mauricio Shogun in Brazil, that's still a high-pressure fight. You grew up watching this guy. You're going to Brazil, enemy territory. Like, I get it. You don't put too much stock into it, but give him credit for it because that was a big fight, and he could have shot the bed, and he didn't. And against Olberg, I know that he was a big underdog in that fight, so it's no big deal. But it's like when you're seeing a young guy come out there with two knee braces and how easily he's willing to go home, it's just it doesn't get incite that much confidence but my issue here is that bilato is minus 400 like what am i supposed to do with that so to me it's a pass man um i think ihor needs to figure out a couple things i think he just needs a little bit more maturity needs to figure out these injuries especially for such a young guy so i'm not that high on him right now um i'm gonna go bilato but i'm not interested at this price of course Now next up in the welterweight division, we got a match between Wellington Termine. He's 18 and 7, taking on Jared Nitrain Gooden, who is is and 9. Currently they got it Wellington Termine minus 190. The comeback on Jared Gooden is plus 165. This is uh this this should be a fun fight, man. Um, y'all know, just disclaimer, Jared, you know, he's from Atlanta. Um, I have a very good relationship with him. He's been to my house multiple times. I've been to his house. We've been to friends' weddings together. We've trained together. Like, Jared's, Jared's my dog. Um, And if y'all ever come to Atlanta and you meet Jared, Jared is the funniest fucking guy. Jared is hilarious, man. He's goofy. He's funny. He'll have you rolling on your ass laughing. And he's just a cool dude. And, like, man, he gets some of the hottest girls out of all my friends. And my friends all do well. And Jared, like man he gets some of the hottest girls dude but that's neither here nor there let's talk about this fight so wellington Terman, i think he's another guy that's got skills everywhere he's a black belt in jujitsu. i think his hands have been getting better i think he's got a lot more confidence now uh, my issue is we're going to talk about both their training situations both their training situations are red flags wellington Terman, so to everyone, I hear them talking about, oh, he's working with Alex and Glover, so he's just going to be making these leaps, and I'm sure he's going to be making leaps. But the way I view it is, oh shit! So he's Alex Pereira's punching bag. You know what I'm saying? Like that for a dude who already had a suspect chin, I cannot imagine those sparring sessions with. Uh, I, I cannot imagine what those sparring sessions are like with Alex Pereira, and Wellington Terman and with Glover too. I bet they beat the living shit out of Wellington Terman, man. So, people saying it's a good thing he trains there. I think knowledge-wise it's a good thing, but I would not be surprised if that durability was coming down big time cuz you don't just spar with Alex Alex Pereira for years and and think that your your chin rating is going to go up. So that I'm worried about that. Um and he does seem to gas out a bit a bit in fights, you know, back in the day when he fought uh uh, Carl Roberson, who was nowhere near Carl Roberson, was known for being the guy that would get insta tapped. And uh, Carl Roberson survived the back takes against Wellington Termon, that was kind of interesting. But Termon's come a long way since then. And with Jared, here's my thing with Jared I'm just gonna be brutally honest, man. I again, I'm always brutally honest, but sometimes I'll like maybe keep certain things to myself because you know, Jared's a friend of mine, bro. Like Jared's, like I said, he's been in my house multiple times. I can call him right now if I wanted to, I'm not going to because he's fucking fight week i'm not gonna bother him but i'm just saying like you know there's when you have certain concerns about your buddies you know those things are better left behind closed doors and certain things i won't say but what i will say is this i told y'all i was worried about wellington Terman's training situation because i think that alex pereira is probably beating the living shit out of him i'm worried about jared's training situation too and i'll tell you why it's not that jared is not training hard jared's training his ass off that that's not the concern here it's just that when you watch jared's had a very long career right like let's pull up jared's had he's 22 and nine so bro <laughs> jared's has 31 pro fights and he's not even 30 yet you understand what i'm saying like he's so even though he's a young guy he's not even 30 yet he's, he's a very seasoned guy Got a lot of miles on him he's been fighting for a very very long time but back to the thing i'm worried about with with jared um is that he's got like two different fighting styles and he like kind of changed his style recently like if you watch what i think is his best performance um in lfa i believe it was let me pull up real quick yeah lfa 59 against stephen newell like, dude, I thought that that was the best performance of Jared's career because he did the things we like. He put up the kind of output we wanted, the over 100 significant strikes. If he wanted to go in there and mix in takedowns, he was able to do that. He just looked like a well-rounded guy that can go three rounds hard, tough as nails, and then cocked like no one's fucking business, super... uh you know, super uh physical. Someone said he's worried about him pulling a stunt like Impa. Look, Impa is the 205-pound champion in PFL, bro. And not only that, Jared for 30 uh one pro fights before the age of 30, he's only been knocked out twice. And it was against the 205-pound uh PFL champ and against this dude Bruno Silva, who like as like the johnny walker like six foot six physique so like jared is one of the most ultra durable guys like that front kick to the face randy landed on him i'm surprised he didn't go down by that so the thing with jared is that you'll watch his fight against steven newell and lfa and he looks amazing there you watch his he's had three great ufc fights the juban fight i thought was fight of the night the nicolas stolze knockout was great the randy brown fight was an awesome fight but then he's had two performances that were really bad looks the abubakar fight and the carlson harris fight i'll give him a pass for the carlson harris fight because you got to remember he took that fight on wednesday of fight week okay so you know basically um he uh i mean when you take a fight on wednesday of fight week dude you know what do you expect especially when you're already a huge guy for the weight class but let me tell you all something about this Okay, so another thing I wanted to say about how Jared's been changing his style, because y'all have noticed recently he's been doing like this hands down boxing shit, which is not how he used to fight at all. And I'm personally more of a fan of his older style. But who the fuck am I to tell a grown ass man like that what to do? You know, you're the fighter, not me, bro. And yeah, I love you like a brother, but I'm not going to tell a grown ass man what to do. I might give input if I'm asked for it. Certain guys ask me for input, but he doesn't. Um, So I, I don't got shit to say about it. Uh, to him, but I'll say it here, man. Jared's been a brown belt since I've known him, and I've known him like ten years, right? So what that tells me is he's not training in the gi anymore. But he might have a lot of people have a philosophy. Well, it's MMA. I don't need to be training in the gi. But what I'm saying is that you know a dude that's been a brown belt five to ten plus years, I'm thinking like, bro, you got to be up there again to your black belt soon. But but on the on the opposite side of that, you look at Carlston Harris, and he's known for these absolutely insane. Front shows, uh, anacondas, darces and he did it against Jeremiah Wells, who's like a real black belt. And Jared took the fight on fucking Wednesday of fight week completely out of shape. And not that he was out of shape, like it's that two weeks prior, he already had a fight. And you know, when fighters have their fight, they're gonna eat everything but the kitchen sink right after the fight. And then you get a call a week later, hey, come back to the UFC. It's like, oh my god, bro. And even in Jared's completely fatigued state. Uh, Carlson Harris wasn't able to lock in those nasty uh, front chokes, Darces, anacondas, like he was against you know a real black belt like Jeremiah Wells. So, so even though I'm I'm giving Jared a little bit of shit, um, for you know he's been a brown belt ten years and and I question that you know he's maybe just training his boxing a little bit too much. The fact that he was able to survive those chokes against Carlson Harris was like especially when he was. Completely out of shape, completely gassed after round one. It, you can't knock the heart of Gooden. Gooden is gonna fight to the bitter end unless you put him out. So, so the guy's a dog. So, as far as this matchup is concerned, I haven't spoken to Jared in a few months, but I assume that, bro, loser of this fight is going home. That's just the bottom line. Like, doesn't matter if it's Wellington or if it's Jared, whoever loses this fight, like that's it, bro. That's it. Good night. Like you're like, you're going back to the regionals winner of this fight. You might get a new contract, you know, because Jared did them a favor taking that last fight on short notice. Jared, please make weight. Like <laughs> man, because my thing with Jared and the weight thing, it's like, I know he can make it. It's just a matter of being disciplined. Um, but the last time I can give him a pass for you took that fight on Wednesday of fight week. So no big deal. But if you miss weight here, man, I can't defend you on that, bro um so please please make weight because like what i'm trying to say is even if he knocks out wellington tournament in the first round but if he misses weight here they're just going to part ways with him anyways so you, you you like the only way that someone can lose this fight and stay on the roster is if this is like world war three this is just a knock him out drag him out fight where like you can't justify cutting either guy um but when jared's at the best of his game i think that the volume's there i think the power's there um, I also think that he's one of these guys that is so damn tough that even if he's down on the cards, he can find late finishes like he did in a lot of his regional fights. Wellington does tend to slow down in fights, especially with that big way cut. Um, it's just, man, I need Jared to make way here, bro. I want him to keep his job. So this is a really good test for both guys. Um, you know, obviously I'm pulling for Jared. That's my dog. You know, I, um, I want to see him do well but I'm also not delusional at where this fight could go wrong. I'm not delusional about the concerns I have about both of their training situations. Again, they're training hard. That's not the I'm not saying they're fucking training in, you know, in LA fitness or in their garage or something like that. That's not what I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying with with Wellington, I'm worried about the fact that Pereira is literally taking years off the dude's chin and with Jared, I'm worried about that he's Mainly just put a, a sole focus into just boxing. Um, so I need to see that old Jared Gooden style uh, for me to be confident here. But, of course, I'm going to pick him. That's my dog. I want to see him do well. Nothing against Wellington Turman. But let's see what happens. I really, I really like, dude, you've had a full camp for this one. Like, it's time to come out here and show out, my boy. So hopefully he does. Now, last but not least, and before we talk about this last fight, firstly, Thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate y'all. Y'all, the support y'all showed me for 500 episodes and just everything along the years. You know, it's been a pleasure, man. So please hit the like button for me. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. Uh, When this is over, leave me that comment. And if you feel so inclined to share, share. If you want to put your sponsors on me, let me know because I'm looking for sponsors right now. Now, Last but not least in the flyweight division, we got the former LFA champion, Jamie Lynn Horth. She's 6 and 0, representing Canada, taking on Veronica Macedo Hardy, who's 7 4, and 1, representing Venezuela. Currently, they got it. Oh, damn. <laughs> God damn. I thought wasn't it wasn't like a pick'em the other day. Jesus Christ. Yo, listen to this shit, dude. It's minus 175, Jamie Lynn Horth. The comeback of Veronica is plus 150. I saw motherfuckers betting Veronica Hardy at, like, minus 105, bro. Minus 110, minus 105, and now she's plus 150. Like, do not keep doing that if you want to be on the right side of the coin. You know what I'm saying? But as far, this is a tough one because it's like, firstly, let's talk bias. I like Veronica. She's a super cool chick, bro. Like, when I went to PFL, because they did, like, a three-week stint in ATL, you know, Dan Hardy works for PFL, so... Uh, while he was working, like Veronica was hanging out backstage, we hung out uh, two of the weeks, and bro, she was cool as hell, man. She's a real cool chick. Um, had some great conversations, and I just want to see her do well, just you know, because of how cool she was. But breaking it down objectively, um, I think that Veronica's got skills. I think she's very fast. I think she's got an array of kicks. Um, I think that her jujitsu is sneaky, too. The only issues I've had with her along the way is that the physicality isn't quite there. She's a, she's quite a bit on the smaller side, which credit to her. She was fighting big chicks uh, like that last fight against um, the all filler, no killer Miller. Like, dude. Like, she was, like, landing head kicks on, like, a chick way bigger than her. So, like, I think the skills are there. It's just sometimes the physicality isn't. And that's where I'm worried here with with Horth. Because Horth is the more physical girl. Horth can pin her up against the fence. Horth's got a variety of finishes, whether it's with kicks, with chokes. Um, And Horth uh, is on the way up. You know, she's had less than 10 pro fights. She's hungry to represent Canada. Uh, But at this point, Veronica is the more experienced fighter it's just that veronica can be physically outgunned in a lot of these fights so that's what i'm worried about um so i don't know it's like i, I want veronica to win because she was you know she's a cool chick man like what can i say not that jamie isn't i've just never met jamie but i've met veronica a couple times hung out with her a couple times and i really enjoy her company uh, she's cool but the thing is man None of that shit matters. I hope she doesn't listen to this because I'm kind of leaning towards Jamie Lee and Horth just with the physicality. But maybe Veronica's turning things around. Maybe Veronica finally, I don't know, found the coach she needed or the confidence she needed or whatever the case may be. Maybe who the fuck knows. So I lean Horth a little bit, but I'll be rooting for for Veronica. I'd love to see her get it done. All right. I'm going to talk about the fight to watch, the fighter to watch. And then I'm down to answer any questions y'all have for a couple more minutes. So y'all leave me the questions now. I don't feel like scrolling all the way up because then I like miss stuff. So just leave me the questions under here. But the fight to watch, I mean, okay. So besides Benil and Armon, besides Jalen and Bobby Green, and besides Rob Fon and Davison and Figueredo, it's got to be Sean Brady versus Kelvin Gastelum. Like how long have we been talk have we been hearing about uh Gardner said Horth is 33 with six flat fights, red flag there? I mean, I guess I, I think it's more of a red flag if she shows some holes in her game. You know, she beat Lupita Godinez twice in amateurs, but we talk we talk about amateurs, and we talking about practice now, you know what I'm saying? So who knows what kind of stock to put in it? I don't fucking know, bro. I don't know. Um but the, you know, the fight to watch, I think, is Sean Brady versus Kelvin Gastelum. There's so many questions. How good is Sean Brady actually? Like, I know he's strong. I know he's got a squeeze. Um, and I know he's on his way up. Um, but I also like that third round against Kiesa. That second round against Bilal. Shit's gotten kind of sketchy when people have stood up to the bully with Kelvin Gastelum. Like, I've been hearing about this move to 170 for how many goddamn years now? And Kelvin's had some incredible performances. He's also had some... Hit and miss. I mean, he's had, like I said, he's had some fantastic performances and he's had some kind of, you know, like the Darren Till fight was an awful fight. Uh, but then like the Jared Cannonier fight, he went, you know, he only lost three to two against Jared Cannonier. So, like, when he's on, he's super talented. Let's see what he looks like on Friday, you know, at 170 pounds. Uh, hopefully god willing, right? let's see what he looks like and let's take him from there and with brady like this will be a, a huge feather in his cap to get this win so this fight lets us know a lot man and uh yeah for that reason sean brady versus kelvin gaston is my fight to watch my fighter to watch is davison dies do gay man listen you are one of the most destructive flyweight champions in the history of the sport but those weight cuts were becoming too much you were in your comfort zone in brazil you're eating auntie's picanha brazilian barbecue every night you're missing weight in championship fights it was time to go up bro and now you got a guy who's been dropped like what like five times in the last four fights taken down like eight times in the last four fights and does the chicken dance every fight just don't stay behind the end of that jab i think you got a good chance and i think davison can make a statement here as long as he's not over the hill overnight so let's see He's my fighter to watch. All right, now I'm down to answer the the fan questions. Firstly, thank you all very much for being here. (sighs) Dan Goldstein, your thoughts on Ian Gary's situation? Um, My thought on the Ian Gary situation is uh, I don't have enough info, but what I do know, because I've heard so many refuting claims about this and that or the other, but what I don't like for a guy that claims to be as mentally strong as ian gary who i'm a fan of who i bet on like almost every fight like bro why did you put your social media on private like you're a celebrity you're an athlete you're a you know a public figure like only like mentally weak dudes like put their shit on private bro just don't even check it you're like so that that was a big red flag man he's getting cooked badly and You know, it's one thing to get cooked badly and not let it affect you and laugh it off, like, haha, whatever. But when you're putting your social medias on private and you're trying to reach the heights that this guy is, like talking about the McGregor Heights, you think McGregor would ever put his shit on private? (laughs) You know, and yeah, so I just hope uh, he figures it out because he's a very talented guy. You know what I can do? I can put the link for y'all to join me in here if y'all want to ask me questions face to face. The only thing is, um, for me to let you in here you have to show your face i'm not doing the because last time i had a dude who like didn't show his face and then he showed like a picture of a dick on here it's like bro like don't even don't even waste my time or the fans time with that so i put the link here if anyone wants to come on here ask me a couple questions i do better with face-to-face interactions because sometimes with the text you can't quite see you can't quite um you can't quite decipher the tone at times through text. You know, that's that's why I'm making that offer. So if anyone wants to join the stream for for a second, ask me a question. I'm down to talk to y'all. If not, I'm gonna get out of here. Um I guess I'll scroll up and see if y'all had any questions for me. But I think I answered most of the questions, you know what I mean? Um and I appreciate everyone that's in here, man. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with the chat because it's scrolling so fast, so I can't just address everybody and what they're saying, but just know that I'm very grateful for everybody that's in here. Um, all right. Okay. So basically, bro, I truly appreciate y'all. And so do we have that UFC Shanghai card? I know it's not in Shanghai no more, but, is that UFC Shanghai card like is that is that next week or is that the week after? Like I'm trying to figure out like what the deal is. I know it's at the it's at the apex. Okay, it's on, on the ninth of hold on a second. Let's figure out when the fuck this is. When's that Shanghai card y'all? Okay, so shanghai card wait wait, did i read that right saturday december 9th okay so december 9th okay so that means that yeah okay okay so we do have a card next week yeah okay so next week's the shanghai card and then after that we got the the pay-per-view card so yeah there's a lot to look forward to a lot to look forward to so hey man appreciate y'all so much all y'all um Matthew said, who do you like better, Buffer or Joe Martinez? I think they're both amazing. I think Buffer is the OG and he's iconic and like a face of the sport. And I think that um Joe Martinez has an unbelievable voice. He was the he was the announcer for the WEC. So I, I go way back with, with Joe and I've always enjoyed watching him. And he'll he'll be the great replacement for Buffer when Buffer finally steps down. Um but yeah, I got I got love for both of them. They both bring something different to the table and I really enjoy them. And that that wasn't trying to be a politically correct answer because I genuinely do think that they're both amazing. Thoughts on Turner Green under 2.5 125? I don't, I don't have any thoughts on it. My only thoughts on it's Dogger pass. Um Yeah, I think that's it, man. All right. Appreciate y'all so much, really really truly sincerely hit that like button for me subscribe if you're not subscribed follow me on twitter at best fight picks follow me on instagram at half the battle pod um leave me a comment when this is done and if you feel so inclined please share and then let me know i don't know what bets you guys like if you say what you don't like over unders i i I do if you know i feel like the price is right but i'm not trying to lay chalk on that one it could I could see it being a three-round war or an early finish, I'm, I'd am just rather take the underdog, you know. Uh, but, yeah, thank you all, man. Really, really appreciate you all. You all the best. The support throughout the years. Make sure you all support all the up-and-comer guys, up-and-coming guys making videos too. There are a lot of great guys out there doing it. So, yeah, man. Thank you all best of luck this weekend and until the next time let's cash these bets